Hello, and welcome to Look to Love, a podcast from me, J.L. Gerhardt, to help you read the Bible a better way, to see, know, and fall in love with God. Every week, we read a passage of scripture, usually a chapter or so, working our way from Genesis to Revelation, and we ask the question, who is God? We focus our attention on him in hopes of seeing him more clearly and ultimately loving him more dearly. That is, after all, the point of everything, the Bible, our lives. It's loving God with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. So let's get to it. Let's open our Bibles and look to love. For those of you who have been with me here uh, on Look to Love for the entirety of our podcasting journey, uh, you know that we have been going book by book through the Old Testament. Uh, And I think that's been fruitful, and I have been um, so delighted to discover God and his complexity and his multifacetedness. Um, It's been beautiful. Today we're going to break from that trajectory uh, from that methodology, and we are going to clump together some of what we call the minor prophets. We're going to be in Hosea, Joel, and Amos. Um, Going forward, we're going to do that a bit here. We're going to group some things, partly because the point of this podcast is to help you learn how to look to love on your own, so that when you come to scripture, you know how to handle it, you know how to look for God, to ask the question, who is God, of the text. And so my goal was to take us through different kinds of books so that you could figure out, how do I look for God in poetry? How do I read a psalm wondering who God is? How do I look for God in narrative story, uh, particularly narrative stories where he doesn't feature prominently as a character? Uh, where do I look for God in prophecy? And so we've done that. We've worked our way through all kinds of different uh, styles, different genres of book here in uh, the Old Testament. Now that we've arrived at the Minor Prophets, uh, we are only going to do three episodes from the Minor Prophets. We're going to group Hosea, Joel, Amos. We're going to skip Obadiah. Uh, We're not skipping Obadiah because it's not important. We're skipping Obadiah because it's just so similar uh, to so many of these other books. We're going to do an episode on Jonah because I think Jonah is just a fascinating story. Uh, We learn a lot about who Yahweh is there. And then we're going to group the rest of the Minor Prophets all into one episode. So today we're going to be in Hosea, Joel, and Amos. We're going to land at about two, three verses in Hosea chapter six. But before we get there, um, Hosea, right? Hosea is this book that is given to the prophet Hosea, and it's it's a prophecy that is lived out like many of the the things that God gives to his prophets. He actually has living lessons that he encourages them to engage in so that their lives become metaphor. And as people watch what's unfolding in the prophet's life, they come to understand what God intends to do for his people or what God is doing for his people. Hosea is an absolutely famous story because what God asks Hosea to do in it is to marry and have children with a prostitute. And it doesn't go well. Uh, And it goes just about as well as God's relationship with the prostitute nation of Israel. Uh, So that's what he's trying to show. He's like, hey, 
being your God is like being married to a prostitute. And uh, that's graphically ex- explained uh, through the first, second, third chapter of the book of Hosea. Really, most of that action is in the first chapter and the second chapter. And it's devastating. Um, I'd encourage you to read it. It's so hard. Um, actually, chapter 2, verse 14, uh, verse 13 really gets to me. I mean, it's it's basically the moment where all of God's anger has been built up. All of God's sadness about how Israel has treated him builds up. And finally, he says this line, which I think is the saddest in all of scripture. He says about Israel, but she forgot me. But she forgot me. All the love that God's given to Israel all the ways that God's taken care of her, all the ways that he's drawn her in, that he's forgiven her time and time again, all the blessings he's poured out on Israel. But she forgot me. It's heartbreaking. (laughs) But that's what Israel has done to Yahweh. She's broken his heart. We find out later there in chapter 2 that God still forgives Israel, even after she forgets him. Uh, He still has this hope that things are going to work out, that she's going to come back. And and then in the end, he says, um, I will say to Lo-Ami, which is uh, one of the names that he has had, uh, Hosea, name his child. It means not my people. He says, I will say to Lo-Ami, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. So God's saying, you know, you, I had you name this child from this adulterous woman, um, not my people. Like, you don't belong to me, <laughs> which is just a devastating name to put on a child. Um, but that's, you know, God's trying to express something devastating here. And here in this prophecy about the future, he says to this child who's been told, you are not my people, I'm going to rename you. I'm going to call you by something new. And the new name I'm going to give you is you are my people. So here in Hosea, yes, God is devastated. Yes, God's heartbroken. I mean, if God can be devastated, I don't know exactly what that means, but there is sadness here. There is heartbreak. There is, um, God, God doesn't like the way things are working out and it hurts him somehow, um, that Israel has behaved this way and that she's forgotten him. We find out in Hosea chapter 6, we kind of get this look into what God really wants from his people. Um, what is it that he's hoping for in a scenario like this, right? He's, he's in this relationship. He's in this covenant with Israel. What does he really want from Israel? Chapter 5 verse 15 says, I will depart and return to my place until they recognize their guilt and seek my face. They will search for me in their distress. And part of what he's saying is, I'm going to punish you, Israel, and I'm going to punish you so that you will recognize your guilt and seek my face. This is God's goal for Israel. This is why he's disciplining her. Um, This is what he's hoping from everything, is that she would stop forgetting him, that she would remember him, that she would repent, and that she would seek his face. And he's hoping that the the consequences he's given will cause this reality. Um, Later in in chapter 6, 
you know, verse three, we get, let us strive. This is, this is the prophet Hosea. He's kind of speaking for the people. He says, let us strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. Um, that's what, you know, that's what, um, Hosea wants for the people. He wants them to recognize that, that God is sure that he's someone you can turn back to. He says, let us strive to know the Lord. All right, God has said what he wants is for them to seek his face. Hosea says, we need to know the Lord. We keep reading here in verse 4, and this is a lament from God back to Israel. He says, what am I going to do with you, Ephraim? What am I going to do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist and like the early dew that vanishes. This is why I have used the prophets to cut them down. I have killed them, Judah, Ephraim, with the words from my mouth. My judgment strikes like lightning. For why have I judged them? For I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So evidently Israel has been bringing sacrifice. They've been doing the stuff that they know they're supposed to do, their traditions, the things that, you know, the outer signs of um, being Jewish, being religious. Um, But what God wants is for them to have faithful love. I desire faithful love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This sentence stuck out to me so much because of these words. I desire. If God, Yahweh, Father, Creator, if he comes out and says explicitly, this is what I want. I desire. Whatever comes after that tells us a lot about who he is. What does God want? He wants faithful love and for us to know him. Faithful love and for us to know him. So faithful love, he just wants you to love him and not be wandering away all the time. Just stick it out. Stay here. Be faithful to him. And then just want to know him. Like he says earlier, seek my face. Right? Seek my face. And just like Hosea had said, let us strive to know the Lord. These aren't facts about the Lord. The Lord wants to be known, like experienced, like let's be in a relationship together. Let's know each other. Um, This is all God wants from his people. It's just that we would seek him, that we would want to know him, that we would be faithful, that we wouldn't wander away, but that we just stick around. This, of course, matches up with what Jesus said was the greatest command, which was to love the Lord your God. And this is our mission here on this podcast. What do we want to do more than to love the Lord our God and to fall in love with him by getting to know him, by seeking his face? The knowledge of the Lord is the whole point of what we're doing here is that, hey, we want to know God. So that in knowing him, we can come to love him. And in returning again and again and again to scripture and looking for him, looking to love, 
that we would be connected to him, that we would be in covenant with him, that we would be faithful, that our love would be constant because we are constantly looking at him, discovering more about him, knowing him more deeply. God says in Hosea, what I desire, what I want is faithful love and for you to want to know me. The book of Joel opens much the same way the book of Hosea does with a prophecy against Israel, uh, God outlining what Israel has done wrong and how they will be punished. We get a plague of locusts um, and judgment from the Lord here in the book of Joel. But then we get to chapter 2, verse 12, and we see Joel say, even now, This is the Lord's declaration, and that even now is going to be like, hey, even after all of that punishment that's been promised, even after all that you've done wrong, even now, and so here we get the turn. He says, turn to me with all your heart. This is Yahweh speaking. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him so you can offer grain and wine to the Lord your God. The idea here, right, is, hey, all this bad stuff has happened, but if you will turn to me with all your heart, then we can make this right. Turn to me with all your heart seems a lot to me like seek the Lord, like try to know him, turn back toward him. That's all God's asking for here in Joel. He's like, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff happening here and I, I'm, I'm, it's going to be rough, but it doesn't have to be rough. Like if you would just turn back to me, if you would just love me, if you would just come home, Things could be really good. That's all he wants, is that we would turn to him with our whole hearts. And then in the book of Amos, uh, we end up looking at judgment on Israel's neighbors, and then judgment on Judah, and then judgment on Israel. And God outlines all the reasons why he's punishing Israel. Punishment, 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 right? Um We read about God's discipline and more about all the ways that Israel has gone astray. Uh, In chapter 5, we get a lamentation for Israel. But then there in chapter 5, at verse 4, God turns, right? Again, it's this, this turn that he's just doing in each one of these prophecies. It's like, this is how things are. This is how things will be if you don't turn around. But then, right? There's always a but then. But if you will turn to me, right? And in chapter 5, verse 4, we get, For the Lord says to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. That's the turn. Stop doing what you're doing. Seek me. Again, that's the same thing we read in Hosea. He says, Seek me and live. And then again in verse 6, Seek the Lord and live. And then what's sort of unfortunate about the book of Amos is that God actually turns back to the judgment. Um, there's not, not so much hope in this one. Seek me and live, but then these last verses seem to indicate that they will not. 
In the book of Obadiah, we actually won't get one sentence of good news. We won't get one um, one indication that they could that they could turn and that God would receive them. That doesn't mean He won't, uh, but it seems to indicate a hopelessness um, that's arising because of the people's consistent unfaithfulness. Who is God in the books of Hosea, Joel, Amos, even Obadiah? He wants his people to turn to him. He wants his people to seek his face. He wants his people to know him. He's not asking Israel to be perfect. He's not asking Israel to do a better job following all the rules. He's actually explicitly calling out sacrifices and saying, hey, it's not the sacrifices I'm looking for. You're doing these outer things, and that's not what I'm looking for. What I want is your heart. I want you to turn with all your heart to me. I want you to seek me, and I want you to want to know me. I I don't want to be forgotten. I'm sick of being forgotten. I'm sick of your unfaithfulness. I'm standing here loving you, and at every turn, you are rejecting that love. It's beautiful to me to to read this and and to look at the Father, to look at Yahweh and to see his compassion, to see his mercy and his his desire to be known. I know I know you understand that. I know I understand that. What I want so much sometimes in a relationship is to be known. Right now, I am living in a new city, and I'm making new friendships, and none of these people know me. And it's funny, I end up telling like the same stories over and over and over again <laughs> because I just assume they don't know them. I, I forget that, oh, yeah, I said that last week. But what I'm trying to do is introduce myself, help them to understand me, and it's, it's interesting in a moment for, for the person across the table just not to know where you're from, not to know what kind of music you like. You know, I've got friends, and I'm really enjoying these new friendships, but they don't know my Starbucks order, and they don't know what Christmas is like at my family's house, and they don't know, um, you know, what weird quirks I have, or they don't know the sound of, of my laugh. Um, they don't know me yet. And there is something um, like hard about that. There's something so beautiful about being in a relationship with someone who knows you. There's something so comfortable about being known. I get that. I want that. I can be tempted to think I just want it because I'm um I'm a flawed human being because um, there's something broken in me that that longs for. Uh, this knowing that that I'm incomplete and that when another person knows me, I I feel, um, I don't know, better about myself or something. But actually, this longing to be known, it's a divine thing. It's a characteristic of my father. My father, the creator of everything, his desire is that his people would know him. His desire is that they would seek him, that they would, they would want to know more about him, that they would want to be with him, and that they would want to know him. So when we feel that, 
when we are with another person and what we want from that person is for them to know us, for them to seek us, for them to be curious about us, um, for them to look at us. That's just the God in us. That's what any being who's his creation, we inherited that from our dad. And there's nothing flawed about it. There's nothing um, imperfect about it. That desire in you is holy. It's okay to want to be known. And the next time you find yourself in a group of people and feeling very unknown, feeling like nobody gets you, no one understands you, or like you've been forgotten, remember that this is how God feels when we don't seek to know him, when we forget him. And let that sadness you're feeling turn your face toward him. Let it motivate you to seek him, to know him, to love him. Thanks for joining me today at Look to Love. This podcast began as I was writing the book, Look to Love, A Better Way to Read the Bible. So if you're interested in this way of approaching scripture, get yourself a book available right now on Amazon. You can even get the group study edition, uh, which I recommend because I fixed all the problems. <laughs> it's not much different, uh, but I did, you know, fix a couple commas. And it includes group discussion questions, which are super beneficial. And you can use them for private study too. My two daughters right now are going through that study and they are working their way through the questions and it's been fun to see what it's stirring in them. That's Look to Love, the group study edition. You can find it on Amazon. All right. You can follow me, J.L. Gerhardt, on Instagram or Facebook or subscribe to my free biweekly essay, The Goodness, where I look for the goodness of God in the land of the living. Do reach out. I would love to know you're listening. Until next time, I hope you'll look to love.